Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Triune God, you set a table and you wave us down and say, here, there is a seat for you. Come sit. May we join your feast and invite others to join us as well. Amen. You may be seated. Well, back in March 2020, when the pandemic started, my husband Gary and I were just in our third month of dating. It was really good timing for me uh, for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is that we became domestic very fast because we couldn't go out. So introverted me, uh, we got to do everything I wanted to do for two years, which was stay home and cook. But also, uh, aside from the obvious goodness of our relationship, uh, during COVID, I had the good fortune of inheriting Gary's housemates as my COVID pod. Uh, Since I lived alone at the time, and Gary lived with friends, his household became my quarantine family. And best of all, I was invited to join their Monday night dinners. Each week, we'd take a turn planning a menu and then all the housemates and their partners would come together in the kitchen and we would make an enormous meal and we'd have leftovers for the whole week to come. We'd chop carrots and we'd mince garlic, we'd char red peppers and we'd pickle red onions and we'd braise chicken and as we prepped we would talk about our weeks, we would talk about our anxieties about COVID and politics, the weirdness of Zoom meetings, our work stresses and promotions, and the wine would flow freely, very freely, sometimes too freely. And then after the dish was done and pulled out of the oven and the garnishes were prepped, we'd serve up and we'd cram ourselves around this little wooden table, eager to dig into the enchiladas or the sweet potato curry or whatever was on the table, which smelled amazing. But before we would begin, we would always read a little meditation from this little book by the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh called How to Eat. It's this little tiny book, and it's full of short, lovely thoughts about food, eating, and community. Each week, we'd take turns picking one and reading aloud. So it might be something like this one. Eating a string bean. Hold up a string bean and take a moment to see that it is a string bean with the whole world in it. There are clouds, sunshine, the whole earth, and the hard work of the gardener. When we can see like that, we have wisdom. When we have wisdom, it means we have mindfulness and concentration. Don't chew your worries, your suffering, or your projects. That's not good for your health. Just chew the string bean. And then, digging in, we'd eat and drink and laugh and tell stories and share fears and hopes. Those Monday nights did more than just feed our bodies. They fed our souls, and they made us aware that during the experience of COVID isolation, we still had this garden brimming with lush fruit instead of a desert. 
In this sermon series, as we're beginning this season of ordinary time and the church calendar together, we're looking at these hours of our lives that we might be tempted to consider mundane. Rest, work, eating, and paying attention. And we're looking to see how these moments are, in fact, brimming with the sacred. And this week, we turn our attention to eating together. My hope is for us to see that as we spend time together around tables, eating and drinking and sharing our stories, these are some of the most sacred hours that we share. At Pearl Church, we talk about sharing a common table all the time, like annoyingly often. Common table is one of our three primary rhythms as a community. We express a sacred story, we extend a common table, and these things animate us by divine love. And we say that everyone belongs at this table, week in and week out. And we gather around the altar, this table of Eucharist, week in and week out. All that being said, what I'm talking about this week is not a metaphor. We're not talking about the divine table meaning inclusion or belonging. It does mean those things. But today, I mean literally sitting and eating together is at the very heart of Christianity. Have you ever noticed how much of the New Testament is focused on eating? How we eat, what we eat, with whom we eat, takes up a lot of pages in this book, which is very interesting in an age where we generally think that religion is about things that we believe. But reading the New Testament, you might get the idea that Jesus was less interested in our dogma and our doctrine and more interested in our dinner tables. In the Gospels, there's Jesus' teaching, parables about dinner tables and feasts all over the place, where to sit at a table, where to, people who did and didn't come to a feast. Jesus talks about what kind of food is pure, all of it, and what kind of food is impure, none of it. And of course, Jesus' first miracle is a good wine at a wedding, and not to mention later feeding thousands from a loaf of bread. Most of the objections to Jesus from religious leaders of the day had to do with food also. Uh, They grumbled because he welcomed sinners and ate with them. So who he's eating with. Uh, They grumbled because he noticed that his disciples were eating with defiled hands that they hadn't washed ritually before. So how you eat. Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard over and over and shared with his contemporaries uh, the, the shock of being willing to share meals with the undesirable and the unacceptable. And of course, the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he took a cup and he blessed it. And he inaugurated the meal, which remains, after 2,000 years, the central act of Christian worship. I don't think it's going too far to say that for two millennia, Jesus' followers have kept up a weekly meal together. Once you get past the Gospels, the focus on eating just keeps on unabated. The The early church's conflicts had mostly to do about eating. There was the controversy of Jews eating with Gentiles. Could we eat and sit together with people who were unlike us? There was the difficult struggles over whether church, uh, Christ followers could eat meat that had been offered to idols and then sold in the market. And that takes up a huge chunk of Paul's letters. And the Lord's Supper, this high point of worship, was, from what we can see in the text, originally a meal, uh, a potluck. And that created its own struggles 
Uh, everyone would bring food for the meal, but then Paul notes in 1 Corinthians that some people, being rich, were bringing you know, just huge amounts of food for themselves, where people who were poor were just bringing tiny, meager little meals, and the, the rich people were just stuffing themselves full of food while others suffered around them. And he said, is this, is this the Lord's Supper? No, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Now, isn't it interesting that our sacred text has so much to say about eating together? And that today our religious practice has so little to do with eating together. Our Christian practice has become so disembodied that we put more emphasis on the contents of our beliefs than on our practices of sharing meals. But the shared meal is, from ancient times, one of the most potent images of divinity. In Genesis 18, we have this odd little story. There's three strangers who come seemingly out of nowhere across Abraham's caravan. And the cultural practice of the day mandated that Abraham would be hospitable. So Abraham and Sarah leap into action to prepare a feast and make room for these three at their table. And only slowly do we become aware from what they say that it is God who has come to dine with them. Later on, as the Christian idea of God as triune developed, it didn't take long for theologians to see this trio as the Trinity, creator, Christ, and spirit, seated around a table and sharing a meal with Abraham. One of the most famous portrayals of this ancient divine meal is by the icon painter Rublev, whose Trinity icon is one of the best-known pieces of Christian art. At a time when it was considered blasphemous to portray God, Rublev got around this prohibition by painting the three visitors as angels, but with these little sly nods all over the place to indicate that it was really the Creator and Christ and Spirit. The version I'm showing on the screens today is by a contemporary icon painter, Kelly Lattimore, which beautifully updates the icon as three women of color gathered around a table spread with a rainbow cloth. The impact of the original Rublev icon can still be seen, however. Uh, notice how the composition creates a circle, right? You get this idea of a circle around the table, and there's an opening, a noticeable gap. And that opening uh, is open to us. The original of this painting is huge. It's life-size. Uh, it takes up a whole wall. So as you walk up to it, and I've seen a reproduction at, at real size, when you walk up to it, it feels like you are walking up to a table. And that table is open to you. That it has room for you, where you are welcome. To me, the power of this icon is that it speaks to a core, sacred, vulnerable place in all of our hearts. Are we welcome at the table? And again, don't get too metaphorical here. Uh, I mean literal tables. Uh, you know that moment when you walk into a room. Maybe it's a conference that you're at, and you've just gone through the line, and you've got your mediocre quality food that they're serving you at the buffet, and you, you're looking for a place to sit, and it's tables, and you, uh, you think, where do I sit? Or maybe it's back in high school at lunch, and you get through the cafeteria line, and you scan the tables for a place. Or maybe it's a potluck after church. And you wonder, is there a seat for me? When I was in junior high, I was definitely not one of the cool kids. 
Uh, not at all. You know how sitting at lunch would work together, junior high and high school, right? You know, the cool kids would sit together, and they were on the little hill with the tree, uh, and the band kids were together, usually in the band room, uh, the jocks, the nerds, and, you know, you've got, it's like an 80s coming-of-age movie, right? Uh, and I sat with the nerds because I was a nerd, and you know that we were the nerds because once we mapped out all of these seats, we drew a map of all these seating groups, and we named them all for different regions of the USSR. <laughs> Our group was Novoskibirsk, which was the capital of Siberia, because we were in exile. <laughs> yes. Is there a seat for me? We probably all have had experiences where it really feels like the answer to that question is no. No, there isn't a table for me. There's not a seat where I'm really wanted and really safe to show up as my whole self. Again, not metaphor. Literal tables where you were literally welcomed to sit and to eat. When you think on those moments, can't you feel the anxiety and the, the unease, uh, that the way that being unsure of welcome makes us close down? The shame of being excluded can turn high school lunch cafeterias into a gauntlet of torment, and that can revisit us even as adults. And then there are moments of welcome. You know the moment where you scan the room and you see someone waving at you and they're saying, we saved a seat for you. Come, come eat with us. And there's that pleasure of being thought of, being wanted, being included, and then the joy of talking and laughing and eating together. I mean, no wonder this icon can be so powerful. Today on Trinity Sunday, it's so appropriate for us to talk about our hours of eating together because at the heart of our faith is a, is a divine who is a community, a community of love that is waving all of us down and saying, we saved you a seat. There's room for you here. Come and eat with us. Plenty of wine. Jesus can always make more. Again, don't get too metaphorical with this. When we share in Eucharist together, week in, week out, coming forward for bread and wine, well, we've got over a thousand years of Christianity making this meal very theological and very complicated and very divisive, arguing over transubstantiation and real presence, and if you need to confess your sins before you partake, and who can participate, and when, and how. But really, a few thousand years ago, Jesus said to his followers, I've been longing to share this meal with you. And so it is today. We approach this table like we approach this Trinity icon, a table where the divine is seated, making room and waving us down to exclaim, there's room for you here. Please come and eat because you are wanted. This divine table is what we participate in every time, every time we sit down to eat together. The divine table is with us as we sit down at dinner at home after a long day of work and share about our days. The divine table is with us as we chomp on appetizers and share a beer at the bar while catching up with friends. The divine table is with us at Olive Garden over endless breadsticks and with us at our TV trays and our picnic blankets and, and with us over Thai takeout and yes, even at church potlucks. Whenever we humans make room at our tables for one another, we are enacting the sacred divine invitation. We saved you a seat. There's room for you here. I think it might be true to say that 
that, sorry, I think it might be true to say that eating together is a primary embodied expression of Christian faith, especially when the table we extend is radically inclusive. Eating together does a number of important things. First, eating together makes community visible and tangible to us. And this is one of the reasons why communion is such an important weekly practice. The writer Nora Gallagher, in her book The Sacred Meal, muses, More than any other practice, taking communion forces us to be with others, to stand with them in a circle or kneel at the altar rail. We are forced to be with strangers and people that we don't like. It forces us to be with them and us to, them to be with us. We are stuck with each other at that altar for at least a few minutes. When we eat together, and especially when we make room for those we don't know or, or who are unlike us or even we aren't sure that we like, we enact and make visible the divine welcome to all humanity. After all, in eating, we really are in communion with all things. Again, Thich Nhat Hanh points out, Bread comes from wheat fields and from hard work, from the baker, the supplier, and the seller. But the bread is more than that. The wheat field needs clouds and sunshine. So in this slice of bread, there is sunshine, there is cloud, there's the labor of the farmer, the joy of having flour, and the skill of the baker. And then, miraculously, there's the bread. The whole cosmos has come together so this piece of bread can be in your hand. In our eating, we truly need and meet all of creation and all of humanity. And so it makes all the sense in the world that our tables would include everyone. So eating together makes community visible, but eating together also makes gratitude tangible. Have you noticed that when you have really good food, it's just so much better if you can exclaim about it with someone else? When I was in high school, we used to go to Mexico each year on mission trips. And of course, we'd go get tacos at these roadside stands, and those tacos were just unreal. I've never had anything like them in the United States. One stand served these grilled green onions, which were a marvel. A friend of mine once turned to me and said, if Jesus Christ were to come back incarnate as a food product, he would be this grilled green onion. And I think he was right. If there is transubstantiation, it was happening in that taco stand in Cuernavaco. <laughs> in the ancient Eucharistic liturgy, when the bread and wine are brought and set on the table, uh, they are blessed with gratitude. This prayer, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we've received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It becomes for us the bread of life. When we eat together, we are given opportunity to make our gratitude tangible, to delight together in the fruit of the earth and the work of human hands. And of course, eating together makes our belonging embodied. Again, to quote Thich Nhat Hanh, sitting at the table and eating with other people is a chance to offer an authentic smile of friendship and understanding. It's very easy, but not many people do it. To me, the most important part of the meal is to look at each person and smile. Imagine your dinner table or a table with friends and imagine looking at each person, one after the other, over your steaming plates of delicious food and smiling. That smile is sacred. It is participating in the welcome of God. There's room here for you 
You belong at our table. With all this in mind, Pearl Church, I want to make the very strong encouragement that we find as many opportunities to eat together as possible. Again, not a metaphor, real meals. Especially as we head into summer, this is the perfect season to throw an extra folding chair at your table and ask someone to join you for a meal. Those shared meals are, I think, a better gauge of our, their community's health than most spiritual practices. If you have to pick between reading your Bible and eating together, pick eating together. Some practical thoughts. Uh, because I, I think this gets us a little anxious sometimes. Ooh, having people in my house to eat. Ooh. Uh, first off, make the meal together if possible. There's a time and a place, and I do love this, for having this perfect, this, this perfect meal that you've, you've prepared everything and everything's beautiful and people just walk in and sit down and enjoy. There's a place for that. But there's also this beautiful place where community happens when we get in the kitchen together and just start opening drawers and seeing if you can find the cutlery, right? Uh, the pots and the pans, and we roll up our sleeves together. I just can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's, it's messy, and it gets people in on life together. It also makes prep and cleanup a lot less pressure on the host. Another thing, I've heard many times, many times from people with children, no one wants to come to my house, it's a disaster, and we're just making hot dogs and craft mac and cheese and hoping the kids are going to eat it. Now, I know that we think often that having people over for dinner has to be this big production, but I'll tell you, at my previous church uh, where I was single, and I was alone just all the time. I was alone so much. Uh, one couple started inviting me over once a week for mealtime with their kids. And sharing mac and cheese and hot dogs and being wanted at that chaotic family table was a lifeline for me. It meant everything to have a moment with a family. Your chaotic and messy home can still be a haven for someone who needs to belong. On that note, uh, I encourage us to expand our horizons when we think about who to include. Uh, it's totally natural that we tend to gravitate toward people who are in similar life stages and with whom we have things in common. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but churches tend to divvy up by age, by gender, couples and singles, by race, by orientation. We just split up into different groups and you just hang out with the people who are like you. With a little imagination, we can create opportunities to bridge those differences and to invite people to join our tables who are unlike us so that more and more we deeply embody the welcome of the divine. And finally, speaking as an introvert, here's something that I am currently learning. I have long felt kind of awkward around people I don't know very well. I'm afraid of saying something dumb or having nothing in common or just having nothing to say, being too quiet. What I'm finally getting through my head is that pretty much everyone feels that way to some extent. We all feel kind of awkward. Like we're just all really awkward together. And that is really okay, because it's being human. So when we spread our tables, we can take a deep breath and acknowledge, yeah, we're all vulnerable. We all really want to belong, and we're all kind of not sure if we do all the time. And so if we extend grace to one another, then we all get to belong together. As we close this morning, I want just to take a moment as we enter our silence and just spend some time with this Trinity icon. 
I'm going to leave it up on the screens for a bit. And I invite you to take a deep breath and to spend a moment sitting with the divine community, creator, Christ, and spirit, who at all times are waving to you and inviting. Come, we saved you a seat. Join the feast. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.